You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for downloading this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. A slightly shorter one than usual this week for a couple of reasons. Firstly, uh, Dan and I met up and watched the Wales game together. So we, at the point at that point in time, hadn't caught up with all the regional games from the weekend. So weren't able to cover that in this week's podcast. However, there's no shortage of chat about the regions given the eventful week that we've had particularly with regard to the Osprey, so we uh, we do talk through that. And then we've also got uh, a good chat about the future of rug club rugby in Wales and, you know, what this this looming CVC investment might mean, British and Irish League, all of that kind of stuff, the, the impact of the Barbars game on the club game in Wales. So all of that we cover, and we also, you know, delve into that game as well, have a look at Wayne Pivak's first game in charge of Wales and the farewell to Gatland. So all of that is covered. Uh, as I say, Dan and I recorded this one out on the road, so there is a bit of uh, there is a bit of background noise as we walk back towards the uh, towards the train station. Uh, but hopefully it's uh, it's not too bad, and it certainly gets a lot better as the the podcast goes on. Just while we're on that as well. As of next week, should have much better quality audio on the podcast as we've invested in a little bit, uh, a little bit of new kit, which is, which is great, and hopefully just should make it a little bit easier for us to record podcasts remotely. So, uh, yeah, thanks for bearing with us with that one, and uh, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back to chat with you very soon. Again, another another glamorous location for us as we walk back from the ship in Wandsworth to Clapham to get the train home. But that is the end of the Gatland era, the start of the Pivac era. Dan, was that friendly? Was it a test match? Can we read anything into it? What are you saying? What's your take after that? Friendly. Don't think we can read anything into it other than how good was Wynne Jones and Tipperick. Yeah, both amazing, actually. And yeah. you wouldn't 
necessarily think Win Jones in the loose doesn't spring to mind. Yeah, Win Jones and Barbarians games, but uh, he, he had a fantastic game. Didn't he? Yeah, he was everywhere, all over the park. I think it's easy to probably think in a game like that. Oh, you can see Pivac's influence, loose game, ball going around all over the shop. You know, goodbye to Warren Ball, but I don't think that's the case personally for me. What do you reckon? I don't think you can take that evidence from that game necessarily. I think we're going to see more rugby like that, though. Do you know what I mean? That's my prediction, is that kind of reinforced what I expect to happen under Pivac. But I don't know how much you can read into it in that game. Yeah, that was always going to be a loose a loose game, wasn't it? Throw it around. Although, would it have been under Gats, though? Yeah, I think it would have. I think it would have been. It definitely would have been looser. I seem to remember some quite boring Barbarians games under Gatland. Yeah, I wonder whether that had anything to do off air. You said, didn't you, that Barbarians has had a bit of a resurgence? I mean, four, three, four years ago, it was under the pump, wasn't it? Mm. A lot of people saying, "What's the point in it?" And then there was a bit of a public outcry. A lot of players, a lot of players saying, "Look, it's brilliant, isn't it? It brings a bit of the old school back in." Everyone having a few few drinks and a few more. Mm. And uh, you know, it's good, good, just good, good fun, really, camaraderie. Before we, yeah, before we kind of go on and try and see if we can establish anything about Wales from that performance, I do think the Barbars have found their place now. And it's these games where you're able to secure some players who are going to make it entertaining. They're going to do, do enough that's going to justify the tickets and all of that stuff. But at the same time, it's not its not just all about the piss-up that it was maybe when the Lions played them in Hong Kong. You know, it's, it's kind of got that right balance between entertainment and being a you know, vaguely competitive game. Yeah, it probably went too far the other way, didn't it? With just, just literally being a proper social. But now there's, they, you know, they actually want to go out and win, don't they? They're being, they're being coached and well-coached. And they got a yeah, they've got a really good mix of of experience and their youth. And uh yeah, I think it's uh the but yeah, they're in a good place, aren't they? Yeah, I kind of feel like for an amateur entity they found their place in the professional game and that's these one or two test matches a year in the autumn. That does bring with it another problem, and that is that you have the the domestic season going on alongside it, and I know there's been a bit of griping from, from fans this week and to be honest, fans of the regions that is and to be honest probably quite understandably that this game's taking place when you've got a full fixture list in the Pro 14 you're off the back of European games and off the back of the World Cup really difficult one to balance because you need the money from this fixture as well don't you? Yeah I mean the money from the money from these games feeds the rest of the of the pyramid doesn't it in, in Welsh rugby so they're really important but I can understand, yeah, why the the fans of the regions are disappointed. They've got to play weakened sides. Mm. It's all a bit disjointed, isn't it, really? And we, we probably don't need to be in the position we're in if we can just get the, get everybody working together. Well, you know, the, the spirit of getting everyone working together is something that's played Welsh rugby throughout its history. I do wonder if there's an external force that is going to make that a lot easier. The now, many this, men. Well, yeah, and this isn't a benevolent force but it's someone who wants to make rugby work from a a club and an international perspective both in England and in the Celtic regions and I just think that that this kind of 
CVC money. I don't know, maybe I'm, play, maybe I'm thinking way too far in the future, but I could just see a position where they hold so much power that you don't have club international games being played on the same weekend because they're the major stakeholders in all of it. Yeah, I mean, from a from a commercial perspective, you can't you can't imagine they they're not going to be happy with this with this sort of setup, are they? They'll have it a lot cleaner. I would have thought it'd be less foggy, and you know then they'll start turning the screw from there probably. And I would say that something like the Barbarians would be a very very easy thing to slice from the calendar, but at the same time, if you're able to get sixty thousand into a stadium. You know, I think there was a decent turnout. Good numbers. A decent turnout at uh, a decent turnout at Twickenham the other week for the Fiji game too. I just wonder that maybe it will be forgivable for them if you're able to justify the the money off the back of it. Yeah, there's def- there's an appetite, isn't there? I know another tickets, uh, you know, are cheaper, and there was a good number of, ch- of children there as well. And I think it's it's really important to grow the, for the in terms of the growth of the game as well because. You are seeing. We saw a lot of tries today, didn't we? Yeah. You know, it's not a huge amount of scrums. It's not too staccato. And if you're going along and you're just you're just going along for a good time, you're going to enjoy rugby from that. Yeah, just wondering where you found that word staccato from. I thought you thought he was a Bennett and Treviso prop. <laughs> yeah, I looked that one up before I before hey, we doing where doing your homework. Uh, I think I know. We're, we're walking exactly the same route that we. Uh, that we did together. I'm glad you were concentrating. But to bring it back to yeah, to bring it back to today, I feel like again we were concentrating a lot on the commercial side of the game, and I think you kind of have to with this whole CVC thing bubbling along in the background. And I would say that stuff like this is really really interesting as to where fixtures like the Barbarians and on a wider point the Autumn Internationals fit into. A you know a, a global calendar. You know if CVC are going to have a lot of interest in the Northern Hemisphere rugby calendar, where where do Barbarians fixtures and Autumn Internationals fit into it? Do they have a place? Yeah, it's a good point. They def- they definitely do have a place, don't they? But they're not the CVC are not going to let it let it go on like this. They? They'll look at it, strip it all back, and make sure that there's. You know the the sides, the regions aren't being weakened at points like this, and it, it's not that difficult, is it? It shouldn't it, it shouldn't be that difficult to do. It just hasn't been done. Should it's I almost you? like it's an afterthought, isn't it? Oh, we'll, we'll slot that in there. It's it just needs to be stripped back, thought out, and these you know these guys will will undoubtedly do that. Should I tell you what I think in the the current club calendar or the current? rugby calendar that I think is potentially under more of a threat if CVC get their own way and that I think is the European Cup I could genuinely see a situation where they're the major stakeholders in the two you know in either two or one massive league in Britain and Ireland Mm -hmm. they're a stakeholder in the six nations so they want to protect those two or three competitions however it pans out but the European Cup will perhaps not mean as much to them and we all know that the French League has a love-hate relationship well the French clubs have a love-hate relationship with the European Cup depending on how they're getting on I could see that kind of falling by the wayside is that something you could see happening and how do you feel about that it's not that's not something really I've uh, I've considered but yeah I probably could see that that happening now you mention it 
Where, how long have you been thinking about that, though? I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, I don't know. I just wonder. Certainly the last few years, well, it's, always been, it's always been the case with the French teams, hasn't it, that if they're doing well, they'll take it seriously. If not, they'll concentrate on the league, which is the major, yeah. the major kind of money spinner for them. And it just makes me wonder that if you do have a, uh, if you do have a situation where you've got the major stakeholders being CVC looking after their own interests, where does the, the European Cup fit into that? And I don't know. I think they've they've kind of bungled the that competition. It doesn't feel like it's grown massively in terms yeah. of interest in the last few years. It probably ha- it has weakened, isn't it? Really, that's fair, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, in terms of interest, I think it has. I think you know, it used to be. We, we, I mean, we used to really, really enjoy enjoy watching those games. Granted that we were involved. Yeah, <laughs> there was more more of an interest for us, wasn't there? Because the the Welsh regions and, and and clubs were there. But I guess that that might be partly to do with it. But I think stripping that out, it um, yeah, it's it's a weakened. I don't know. It's not as good an offering now, is it? It's not as attractive. No, and I think the thing that everyone's really keen on doing is bringing in like that, that casual neutral fan. Nearly ended up in a dry cleaners, though. Yeah. Could you? Yeah, your, your shirts could use a clean, mate. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the thing: is the casual fan is someone who is what you're going to need to attract. You know, yeah. you think about how it works in football and how the Champions League acts as a signpost for domestic leagues and vice versa. You just wonder how the, uh, how the European Champions Cup has done that. And it feels to me when they had that chance to reset it a few years ago and the English and French sides kind of took the, the majority of the power, I don't feel like it's particularly kicked on since then. Yeah, they're all, that's, that's, I would agree with you there, to be honest. There is, there is something a little bit, uh, a little bit of romantic, I think, about the European, about the European Cup, or at least there was. But would I be surprised if it if it went? Probably not. Now then, yeah. Now I yeah. The other thing that I think is um, is a bit of a problem with it for like neutral. You know, we talk about other way that Rugby World Cup is a good shop window for growing the game and how. You know, it's, it's about bringing in people who don't necessarily watch the game on a week-to-week basis. You know, how Six Nations and Rugby World Cup can do that. Well, I do think that the European Cup should do that. And something like the six-pool format, I don't think particularly helps. I feel like you look at that and go, well, hang on a minute, what, what's, what's going on here? You've because got it's quite complex. Yeah. I, it's something that's always bugged me, you know what I mean? Like from yeah. going, back, going back years and years, I always thought, well, why are there... Well, I know. Well, I know, now I know why. In terms of keeping the number of fixtures down, but it's not a particularly accessible thing to do when you've got six pools made up of four teams. The other thing that bug, bugs me about it as well is it can be a bit of a procession. You know, like you look at someone like Bath, massive side. They've lost their first two games. Are they going to take it seriously? No, probably not. And because you can only get one side out of the group, or possibly yeah. two, if you play really well. You know, you, you've kind of got dead rubbers for for them. You know, Ospreys, every game will be a dead rubber for them. We'll come and talk more about them later. But yeah, that's, that's the bit that, that's the bit that, whereas, you know, in football... early on, you're out. You, you're not going to take it seriously. And then it's kind of over. The interest is not there all the way through, is it? So that's something they need to look at if they do continue. 
Yeah, so I mean that's that's something that I think is a is a massive flaw in the in the whole system. And yeah, you're right. If it is going to continue, then keeping the interest of people, I'm not in. I'm not one of these who wants to shake things up for the sake of it. But at the same time, I do think that it's a really important thing that you can get you can get as many people interested in the in the club level of the game as as you possibly can. Very interesting. Didn't think we'd be talking about that. Outside, uh, outside an estate in Clapham. <laughs> we get some funny looks with this microphone. <laughs> yeah, I know. People, people probably think you're an influencer, Dan, don't they? They think you're a. Hey, I am. Are these clothes. I know. I don't know. I don't know who you're influencing, but it's uh, it's certainly a bad influence. Like I say, we're going to come on and talk about the Ospreys in the second half of the show because it's been an almighty eventful week for them. But let's kind of wrap up with this Wales fixture. I'd say it's Pivak's first game. You can kind of see that being perhaps a bit of a blueprint for how they might play going forward. But what about uh, the end of the Gatland era? That's the, you know, that's the, I guess, his his farewell game. How are you going to remember Warren Gatland's 12 years in charge? Well, but going back a bit on on this game, I sort of see it more as Pivak's first game, but it didn't really. It just, for me, it was more Pivak's first game as opposed to Gatland's farewell. Was it really? Yeah, that's how it, that's how it felt to me. I sort of I said goodbye to to Gatland after the World Cup. Personally, mm. did you? Yeah, I think I did. It just feels like a bit of a juncture now where you hit reset this is your first game as a new as a new coach and it gives you a bit of time to look back and you know when have you we ever had a coach in charge for 12 consecutive years well you know aside from his odd you know the, the couple of uh, stints where he's taken time off to coach the Lions when have we uh, you know when have we had that level of stability so it, I don't know it feels like the end of a yeah, chapter to me I don't think me. we will I don't think we will see someone else another Welsh coach have that length of time. It's almost like Alex Ferguson in there, isn't it? We're not going to see another. We're not going to see another Alex Ferguson. We're not going to see another Gatland. Um, they're kind of one-offs. Yeah, I think you might be right with uh, with regards to that. And the problem is then, like we said before, does Wayne Pivak fit into that David Moyes successor, or well, we has he got not. more to offer? We hope not, but yeah, possibly. Yeah, it was a good. It was a. It was an enjoyable game, wasn't it? Plenty of tries, and they probably what we probably did see some intent in terms of how how Pivak's gonna gonna structure the game. But I don't think we can read too much into it. The Barbar's always gonna throw it around, and then we we were gonna do that as well. So I think it's just it's good to see a couple of different players in a Welsh shirt and to get a bit of a run out before the Six Nations comes in. Really, I don't think there's anything more to it than that, personally. It's worth noting the time that we're recording this, Dan, as well. So having just watched the Wales Barbarians game, we're not fully up to speed with the regional results of the weekend. However, it has not been a quiet week for the regions and in particular with the Ospreys, where we've had a, an announcement that Alan Clark will not be the head coach, but that announcement came kind of through BBC Wales. We then had a series of bizarre press conferences where the Ospreys sent out Richie Pugh and James Hook to field questions about the Pro 14 and understandably 
the journalists present decided to ask them about who was going to be coaching the side rather than them. This is all rather worrying and a bit of an embarrassment for the Ospreys, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? It's not looking not looking good at all. I think the way in which the Ospreys have handled it has been disastrous, really, mm. isn't it? Really poor. And it just it just didn't need to be this way, did it? You said it's been a it's been a quiet week, it's been a very, very quiet week, but it was always gonna be a quiet week, but you just need to come out the right they need to put the right people in front of the camera. And let him have a chat. And also look, you know, look the part a little bit as well. Yeah, I might have guessed that you'd be concentrating on sartorial elegance. But that aside, I think that the major thing for me, and this kind of come across from some of the other journalists as well, was you can't expect to send out a player and, an, and a fairly inexperienced coach the day after that it's come out that you've, you're trying to part company with um, your head coach and expect journalists to not ask him that questions. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it just seems yeah. massively naive. Yeah, I mean, um, Andrew Milward was disappointed, wasn't he, with the fact that those questions were asked. But <clears throat> really, what, what questions could he, could, could, could he possibly of us? It was always going to be around, around who was going to be coaching, wasn't it, on the weekend and, what, and what's happened to Alan Clark. They, they were not just going to talk about, you know, what your favourite food is, it was always going to be regarding this big news. So it was just a little bit embarrassing, really. And if you are, you know, CEO, MD of a, of a professional rugby club, it's unlikely. Yeah, like you say, you know, they're, they're not going to ask about, about those things. But you could also, you could nip it in the bud by putting yourself out and taking that bullet and saying, right, here's what's going on. The boys can't talk about Alan Clark and what's happened there. I'm here to I'm here to say look it's a, it's an ongoing thing. He's not going to be taking charge of the first team. The first team is going to be dealt with by Matt Sherratt and Carl Hogg. Yeah. The boys are here to talk about the rugby. Any other questions you can come and chat it's, to me and kind of just nip it in the bud rather than sending them exactly. out to the wall. It's the job you should do. And it's also the job that you would want to do, wouldn't you, if you're in that role. You want to be there. Yeah, I think so. You're almost you're almost protecting what you're protecting the Ospreys. So it's, it's fairly high risk as well, as well as it being silly, you know, silly, high risk, and it's also not the right thing to do. There's um, a guy going past you with uh, a ghetto blaster on. Which you can probably hear. Playing the Temptations, my girl. It's probably not what you'd, yeah. not what you'd necessarily expect. I'm quite enjoying in, it. In, a, in a, a very, very nice white sort of shell suit. I'm not sure it's Could a see you suit. in that. Could you? I can see you in it. I'm sure yeah. scrolling back through your Facebook pictures of old, there'll be there'll be some stuff of you rocking something like that. But yeah, to to bring it back to the Ospreys for a minute. Again, like we say, we don't know the results from this weekend, so we don't know what the immediate result is. But this whole year, if you if you were to look back at this year, it's not been a particularly pleasant one for them as a region. You had all the caper going on with the supposed merger. Will a merger happen? Won't it happen? It didn't. And then you thought there would be this bit of a recovery when. You know, they signed Anscombe and qualified for Europe and all of this, and then find themselves almost in an even stickier situation as we go into December. Yeah, it's gone from gone from bad to worse. You, it's difficult to see how it could get could have got any worse before. But this, um, yeah, this new news or lack of news. I mean, it'd be interesting. To, it's really interesting to see what actually Alan Clark has done. I, it's reading between the lines. It does. It's, 
you, you kind of think that he's done something, isn't he? Or that's what we're kind of led to believe. I think the transcript from that Wales Online press conference would probably lead you to believe that something has happened, I would say, at this day. Obviously, it's really, really difficult because yeah. we're not, you know, Who we're just knows? speculating, but it would lead you to believe that something has happened in order for, for this to be the case. But he is still employed by the Ospreys, but is not involved in first-team matters, which, again, just adds to the speculation. And I don't think that makes things any easier. It just makes everyone... You know, again, we're, we're not plugged into this any more than anyone else, but it makes you wonder what has happened. And, it, you know what I mean? Like, the lack of communication just adds to the speculation. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. You just need to nip it in the bud, don't you, when you come out and just say almost... It's almost a... You know, send to Andrew Mill, but it's almost a no, a no, a no comment. But if he's there front of house, you know, he's going to take a, take a bit of flack. But that's where that's what he's that's what he's paid for, isn't he? That's what he's there to do. So, yeah, we'll see we'll see how this unravels. The other thing that I think is a bit concerning that came out from that press conference is 21 Ospreys players with their contracts expiring next season. Oh well, yeah, the end of this season. That feels like a massive amount of uncertainty when there's all of this playing out behind you. Would you be, you know, would you be worried about that again if you were in Millwood's situation or if you were, if you were involved with the Ospreys in any way? Oh yeah, yeah, you really would. I mean, that doesn't look good at all, does it? And I also think the way in which they, uh, the way in which they've communicated uh, certain messages over the last sort of last five days has been really odd. Like the, the, it, it's pretty unprofessional, isn't it, from the from the communications team as well, and. You know, I saw a, a quite bizarre sort of interview with with um, Andrew Millward, and he, he was asked a, a series of questions, and then it was sort of it was sort of broke like a broken up interview. And what he was answering was just peculiar. I just I, I just didn't think it needed to be done, really. So yeah, they're in they're all they're at sixes and sevens, aren't they? I don't think anybody knows what on earth's going on. So yeah, the future doesn't look good there, does it? I think that's really worrying, and you know, like I say, we're we're speculating. We're speculating because of everything that's happened this week and how it's played out in the media. That could have gone differently. You add into the mix all of the players being out of, con- or a number of huge number of players being out of contract soon. You add into the mix that there is, like we said in the first half, new money coming into the sport, which we don't know how it's going to play out. Like I said, I am not a. I'm not here to bang the drum for CVC. I think there might be some problems that their money can solve, but at the same time, they are not a charity. They are going to be wanting their pound of flesh. And all of that, would, I think, is just a bit worrying when you've, it's in the same season that you've had a, inverted commas, supposed merger slash not merger for that region. I, I, it's, all, it's all a bit worrying, and I think the people that you have to feel for the most here are the Ospreys fans. Yeah, Ospreys fans, well, and, and also... Yeah, Osprey's players, yeah, yeah. Osprey's players, I suppose as well, and some of the, you know, some of the, you know, the backroom staff, and it, pe- people obviously know what's going on, don't they? And it's not being, I, I suppose, it's not being shared down. There's not a lot of this stuff can't be shared, but you, it, it, rumor mill, you know, rumors will start, won't yeah. they? Because of the silence, and it, it just needs to be handled more professionally. If you don't handle things professionally. Then you get you get more and more stick, don't you? Because it starts feeding into other elements of of, of the Ospreys, and it, it, and it and it goes from bad to worse. So it's just a lot of a lot of it. You know, we know the Ospreys are in a are in a poor place, aren't they? Financially, they're in a bad place, decimated with injuries, lots of players, yeah, coming to the end of their contract. So it's all it's all uncertain. 
But if you, if you then go silent, you've got further uncertainty. And they, it, it, I, I just can't understand how that wasn't looked at and gone, look, we're going to have to front up here and say, say something that, that'll just sort of keep everything at bay and take a bit of, take a bit of heat off the players. The players got, have, have got enough on them, haven't they? And the, the, new, the new incoming coaches as well. Let them concentrate purely on the rugby and trying to get a performance as opposed to the politics. I mean, that must be another major problem is that you find yourself here at the end of November, you've got Christmas looming, you've still got the head coach in situ, but you're going to need to find a new head coach and there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the region anyway. Like, I don't know how you go about solving that and I don't know who, which coach is likely to, to want to take that on, do you? No. I mean, who... Yeah, it's it's not a great place, not a great... It's, they're not going to have, um, not going to attract a lot of, a lot of interest, do they? But then, you know, it does pose an opportunity for an up and coming, maybe an up and coming Welsh coach to step in. Um, is that an important thing for you that it, it would be a, an up and coming Welsh coach, or do you just think that that is a, an opportunity that's arise because of the circumstance? I think I think partly, you know, circumstance is definitely, you know, why I've mentioned that. But also, I do think it would be nice to develop a, to develop a Welsh coach because. That, that was kind of what we were sold with the regions, wasn't it? That it was going to be a, a breeding ground for Welsh coaches, and it's certainly not turned out that way. That's exactly what what it was supposed to be, and it really hasn't happened, has it? You know, a lot of our coaches are coaching in other in other in other countries. So, yeah, look, maybe that's a positive that can come out of this: is that we start to develop some of our own coaches, which will then feed through and help you know help out Welsh rugby. So, there can be positives that can come from it, but first and foremost, it needs to start with not letting the players speak and let them just concentrate on training, performance, and not on the politics. The other thing that I find quite interesting there is this press conference. There's been a number of press conferences this week, but that midweek one where Hook and and, uh, and Pooh turned out was kind of like a launch for the Pro 14, which kind of sums everything up to me, that you're having a launch for this league when it's nine games in. You know what I mean? It's It just feels like, and I know there's a Rugby World Cup and I know players have been away with internationals, coaches, journalists, everyone's been away and concentrated on Japan, but that kind of sums everything up to me that you're having a launch midway through the bloody season. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, again, coming down to the organisation, the organisation of it all, isn't it? It's that's That to me is like launching a Christmas product in April. Yeah, totally. We've It's already started. You can't launch something that's already started. So... Yeah, it's farcical from beginning to end, isn't it? Let's just finish then by talking about Wales, because I say that's where we spent the bulk of our afternoon concentrating on. I know you've said it's a friendly and perhaps not to read that much into it, but are there any kind of real positives that you can take out of that game that you think, right, this is, this is going to be an interesting time to watch Wales play? In all honesty, no. Mm. I, I really do think that. It was just, it was a, it was a training, it was a training exercise, basically, with two teams playing in two different kits. And... Uh, in in front of a in front of a decent crowd, which brought in which brought in some pound notes, much needed pound notes as well, to uh, you know to, to to Welsh rugby. So we can't read anything really into it. Well, there you go. There you have it. But that will bring us to a conclusion for this week. We will have loads more to chat about next week. God knows what will happen with the various situations that we've described on this week's pod. I'm sure they will have develop further by next week and we've also got European rugby to look forward to over the festive period we've got the boxing day or the the festive derbies to get stuck into as well so loads more rugby coming up so make sure you stay tuned to the attacking scrum thanks for listening
Social Podcast Network.